Hey, what's up guys, Travis here. And if you've been following me or my story for any length of time, you know that I started a company called Guestio about a year and a half ago now. And one of the things that we are doing this year in 2022 is we're building a concierge program called the Fast Pass that allows you to get booked on top quality shows and platforms for the purpose of spreading awareness for your brand, grabbing attention, uh, growing your credibility, your authority, et cetera, et cetera. And so if you are listening to this right now and you are a seven figure plus entrepreneur and you have a budget to bring in traffic, attention, credibility, authority to your brand, then this might be a really great program for you. Just head over to travischapel.com slash 10K. Why 10K? Because we guarantee in this program that you're going to be able to speak in front of 10,000 people within 90 days. Okay, 10,000 people within 90 days. Imagine getting on a stage in front of 10,000 people to share your message, your story. That's exactly what we are doing inside of this program through virtual stages like podcasts or virtual events or YouTube channels or blogs. You name it, we are working with it, and we are trying to get you booked on those platforms. So travischapel.com slash 10x. There's a quick application there, and then right at the end of that application, it'll prompt you to set up a phone call where you'll jump on a call with me, and we'll talk through whether or not you're a great fit for this program. Please act fast on this. Do not wait because we are only taking on one or two clients a week due to uh, constraints with our team and the limited supply of high quality shows and platforms that are out there in the market. So if that's you and you're really wanting to explode your brand in 2022, head over to travischapel.com slash 10K, fill out the application, schedule a quick phone call, and you and I will chat really soon about whether or not this would be a great fit for you. Thanks, guys. Talk to you soon. You are listening to the Build Your Network podcast. If you're tired of the old way of networking, the business cards, the awkward conversations, and the aggressive pitches, but you know how crucial your network is to your success in life, then you're in the right place. Welcome to Build Your Network, the only top-rated show committed to helping you master content networking, foster real relationships, increase your authority, and build the network of your dreams. Listen in on conversations with world-class entrepreneurs, authors, thought leaders, and more as we deconstruct their best strategies for your success. So get ready to burn your business cards, ditch the name tag, and discover the new way to network with your host, Travis Chappell. Hey, what's going on, everybody? Welcome back to another episode of Build Your Network. Today, I have the privilege of sitting down with my boy, Sam Ellis. At Scout Ventures, Sam is focused on leading the SaaS portfolio at the seed, pre-seed, and incubation stages. He's built everything from computer vision microservices for a cloud robotic startup to the systematic signal library for the large quant portfolio at point 0.72. Most notably, he was the technical co-founder of Dutchy, an industry-leading online ordering provider for cannabis dispensaries in the U.S. and Canada. He's a graduate of West Point, if you ever heard of it, where he studied operations, research, and applied statistics. And out of West Point, he was a National Science Foundation graduate a fellow at Northwestern University, where he obtained an MS in industrial engineering. And although his home base is in NYC, you can find Sam in the trenches with his companies just about anywhere in the continental United States. Sam, what's up, my man? Thanks so much for taking the time to join me on the show. Yeah, of course. Really excited to be here and I'm excited to be lining up for it for a while. Yeah, dude. I'm excited to have a, have a conversation with you. As, as uh, those of you listening can tell, 
Uh, Sam's resume is not impressive at all. You know, West Point's nothing, you know, building funded companies, now being part of a venture fund, technology side, applied statistics, just the regular stuff. So no, but this has been a conversation I've been looking forward to having uh, for a while now, bro. Um, Let's rewind the clock, first of all, for those uh, that are listening that don't know who you are, a little bit of context and uh, uh, take it back to, you know, 12 year old, 13 year old Sam Ellis, set the scene for us. What was it like growing up being you? Yeah, for sure. So I think I grew up in a super disciplined household. My dad was a was super track athlete. So I think someone who was that obsessed growing up with with anything is like state champion, kind of college athlete, really, really elite level, you know, it's like setting records in, in the two mile level. That it's just that kind of like militaristic, almost like obsessive intensity. So, you know, I think that's, it's a really interesting way to, to grow up. I think it's a, a blessing in them in, in, in most ways and a, and a curse in a couple. But, you know, it was super into sports, super into school, uh, you know, very much showing up to, to be focused and do as great of a job as I could at whatever I did. That was very much the kind of attitude and energy that, that, my, that my, my parents set up, particularly my dad. And so for me, I was uh, at some point really interested in, in jumping into enlisting after 9 11. Cause that was, that was kind of right around, you know, that was right around a little bit before when I was like that teenage age, like 13, 14. And so at that point, uh, you know, I'd mentioned to my parents, like, Hey, I, I think I want to enlist after high school and, and really do something from a service perspective. So I, you know, I, I ended up really getting the bug put in my head with my dad around the whole go to West Point and, and do the mix of good school, but also do the mix of service. So, yeah, it, I think that was the general vibe, you know, a lot of, a lot of sports and in school, a good amount of intensity and kind of ramping up to to go to, to West Point. Seems like basically anything you did was always promoted with excellence within your family. Is that right? That was that was the attitude and energy for sure. You yeah. know, which 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 creates actually a, a variety of, of personal development challenges, right? Mm-hmm. It's it's kind of like a it, you know, it creates kind of this like, you know, perfectionist void. I think that that some people have uh, you know, there's a lot of anyone, anyone with probably a, an inherent chip on their shoulder from their environment. Right? I think it, I think it creates some interesting challenges there. But the, you know, the, all blessings. You know, all blessings for sure. What uh, what sports did you play? I did cross country, wrestling, and track. Nice. Any chances to do any of that stuff in adult life? Yeah. So yeah, interestingly enough, I did judo at the college level, which was oh, kind cool. of an interesting interesting progression from wrestling, because a lot of the body weight, hips, and throws are very similar. Right. So for me, I was like, I was really, really excited about the ability to convert a lot of that into, into competing at competing at the college level. And so I, t- I took a, I took a pretty big break off of endurance sports and running and everything as, as an adult. So definitely in college and post-college and then, you know, wasn't really into, into fitness or sports at the time while I was starting a company. So I think for, for me, I was like, Hey, I'm going to, I'm going to really go back to those roots, but find them in my own way. I go back to kind of like the running and endurance athlete routes. Yeah. And so, yeah, I ended up, uh, I ended up getting in, a couple of years ago, we're getting really into back into tri- triathlon and Ironman triathlon and ultra marathons. And, oh, and, no so picked, and so I picked a lot of that. Yeah. I picked a lot of that up in, in life, but fallen for it with my, in my own love, you know, just yeah. fun. So you stick to some sort of a training regimen if you're running, I mean, from what I understand, if you're running ultra marathons, you got to be putting in, you know, 20, 30, 40 miles a week or something like that, right? Totally. No, and even, and even I think even more in some cases, if you're going to really have a run, run heavy week, but I think, you know, triathlon, you're doing a, a mix of, of swimming, biking and running. I don't do as much swimming as I should probably do 
little bit more running than I than I should. Um, but I think for me, I I look at I look at the opportunity to go anywhere, like travel anywhere, as ability to like do a run, right? So or do a bike ride, right? Mm-hmm. So like I don't know if I have to go to a buddy's house on the Upper East Side and it's like six miles, like that's a great run, you know, gotcha. that's a perfect, perfect chance to run. And so, gotcha. yeah, I think it, uh, it's, it's a, it's a fun opportunity to just kind of be always focused on, on looping fitness into life. And so, yeah, it's, you know, as, as I'm just kind of at a chat with a friend the other day about how, about how Americans have put this almost like theatrical backdrop around fitness and it has to be done in certain clothes, has to be done at like a gym or in certain ways. And sure. Like, like, you know, you can, you can, you can treat, you know, like people who are like moving or something, like they're probably in amazing shape. Or people who are doing, you know, just super active during the day. Like, I think that's that's a good lens to look at fitness through. So, yeah. Well, I mean, you got to do it on purpose if you're doing all the work that you do for your career, right? The sedentary kind of sit behind a laptop screen and type away. <laughs> you got to do it on purpose, or it's not going to happen, right? Totally, totally. And I think I think it is very intentional too, right? Like I think you know one of the reasons I'm so into endurance sports is it's like I think and you and you know this well, like being an entrepreneur is like all about endurance. Mm. You know, it's yeah. all about just showing up every single day. It's showing up and for every single mile, right? Just getting it done, even when you have a cramp. You know, even when it's even when it's a bad deal. Right. Yeah. You know that that's why I ask about fitness and sports and stuff sometimes with people because it's always been a great life metaphor for me, like uh, like a training yeah, ground. Totally. For some of the bigger things in life, because in entrepreneurship, bro, like, and you know, this is a lot of times you don't have complete control over the outcome. There's not a lot that you can control about it. You can do your best to pinpoint things. You can test, you can collect data, you can, you know, iterate and then do that process over and over again. But, you know, with, with sports, with fitness, with lifting weights or running or any of those things, it's just so controllable, you know, like there's, there's an outcome that comes from putting in the work. And I guess I just... I guess I find myself more and more uh, with the crazy roller coaster entrepreneurship is being drawn into things that are like that, that are more predictable results from action totally. that's put into them, you know? And it is like, to your point, a very, a really good training ground for, for what entrepreneurship and life throws at you. Totally. Yeah. You know, I think entrepreneurship is, is stochastic and nonlinear enough to have uh, a, a really good case to have a very stable kind of linear, like, all right, I'm going to put this input and get this output in. Those things yeah. are good to have, you know, those are good to have for, for when you're a high volatile kind of business entrepreneur life. So I know why I got into entrepreneurship, which had a lot to do with like, I didn't have many other options if I wanted to be successful, you know, I, I, didn't, <laughs> get to, I didn't go to, to a good school, didn't have a ton of job offers coming out of college. It was basically like, do I want to get a desk job or do I want to try to have some abundance in my life and solve some big problems for people? So it was a right. little bit almost like cut out for me. But I'm curious, like when I see people like you, bro, like you, you had such a great uh, kind of launching pad to be able to move into multiple career types with the majors that you had, with being in the service, graduating from West Point with the degrees that you did. Why entrepreneurship? What What took you down that path? Totally. Yeah, I think... You know, if I had to distill it to kind of one one governing thought, I would say I would say it, it comes down to really like agency and expression. Mm. You know, I think in in a lot of ways, humans are humans are meant to be expressed in a variety of ways, right? Like whether it's through communication or through art or through it's like you know, all, every almost everything we do is an expression of some thoughts and some feelings, right? The words and everything. And so I think for me, I very much felt, especially having been in such a structured environment and then in the military, like 
I think I, I felt at some point like, oh, wow, like I want to do a lot more or I feel like I can do a lot more and I want to be able to create this or I want to be able to build this or, or grow uh, this. And, and, you know, whether it was a business or whether it was uh, an, an idea or an pro- it, 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 we're sticking in a, an abstract setting for now. I think it's, you know, entrepreneurship, I think is the, the clearest path to do that because it's, you know, it's, it's, it's effectively unlimited, unlimited agency, right? Mm-hmm. I mean, obviously you're, you know, you're, you're incurring some level of risk and backdrop is a little bit more gladiatorial at the early days, sure. right? But I think being able to build and convert your intent into something productive and beautiful, I think that to me is a lot of what entrepreneurship is about. And it's like, that's very much, at, I think it's very much at my core, right? It's very much at my core to, th- I think, think that way, right? So I think I have, I have so many big plans in life and a lot of it involves uh, ideas and expressions and, and, and goals I think I have for myself and, my, and partially humanity. I think a lot of that gets executed through competence as, as an entrepreneur, right? And the ability to, you know, to convert an, an idea into something meaningful, into a business, into, into a culture, into a movement, and you know, be able to raise capital. And it, all of these things, I think, are really important skills to be able to, to kind of operate against that governing thought. So zooming out a little bit and then kind of... Can you, can you just give us a timeline of what happened in between the time that you graduated from school until where you are now. So we talked about a lot of things, like I said, kind of resume stacking uh, in that introduction. Sure. Um, so I'd love to hear kind of, you know, how much time did you spend on this and then how long before you got into the next thing and what led you to where you are now? Totally. Yeah, totally. Uh, and, it, and it's interesting coming off the foundational context of, of entrepreneurship because I think that very much is, is a thread throughout. So, you know, after undergrad, I was, you know, I went to West Point, but was fortunate enough to get a National Science Foundation Fellowship to go be able to go work on a, a PhD right after school on industrial engineering at Northwestern. Uh, and so... Uh, on industrial engineering and what? Say that again? At, North, at Northwestern. University. Oh, at Northwestern. Okay. Yeah. So, yeah, anyways, I think there... I think for me, I really enjoyed the intellectual challenge and rigor of academia. That's what drew me largely to it. And there's also some some kind of creative liberty that's interesting in, in research. But ultimately, I think I felt like I craved probably a little bit more meritocracy and practicality in, in the work, especially the hard, the hard work. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I think I think so exactly. And so I ended up spending ended up spending you know enough time to wrap up my master's and a little bit of research uh, at Northwestern, and then. You know, I, I had a few years of commitment still um, in the army, as as all West Point graduates do. So I, I spent most of that time as an intel officer at U.S. Cyber Command. I uh, was working on kind of an interesting mix of of uh, you know offensive cyber operations and doing a little bit of interesting data engineering off the back of it, and uh, also a little bit of web engineering. Um, so yeah, really interesting mix work and where did your like engineering and coding come in to play because that, that's yeah. not what you majored in right yeah so i was an applied math guy and then industrial engineer and you know i think i think for me like i i realized the power of, of coding i think in undergrad albeit a bit later than i would have liked and with a bit less rigor than i would have liked but you know i think the i, I was always in enthralled with with programming it started it started from a very like academic lens right so all the research I was doing in undergrad was was basically writing uh, writing some code in a symbolic programming language to expand 
what was computationally available for a class of statistics and so Bayesian statistics. So, you know, there were, and then in grad school, it was very much like doing mathematical programming for optimization problems. So it's like, you know, very academic and like, and, and closer to intellectual than like application driven and, pro and program, but like, yeah. you know, the print, the principles in many cases are the, are the same, right? It's like, uh, and the comfort I think with, with code is, as a foundation is very helpful. And then I think from there, I really realized the power, I think, of building, of being able to build uh, applications with user experiences and being able to build, uh, being able to build, you know, really full stack applications, right? And so uh, I, I worked, yeah, I mean, I worked a lot in my free time to kind of hone those skills, was able to do a little bit of work in, at Cyber Command on full stack stuff. And then, you know, was was always doing side projects of some kind. Oh, I think so, that one. So not much Netflix and chill. For, for not a ton, not a ton, not yeah. a ton of Using your free time to learn coding <laughs> languages instead of catch up on The Office or whatever probably paid off a little bit better for you, I'm assuming. <laughs> I think you're probably right. Uh, so, no, it's good, man. And, but yeah, no, it's, that, was, that was the you know, first several years of my career. And yeah, it was, it was a theme of like doing, trying to work on side projects. And that's still, that's one of the ways I think these days I spot engineers who are passionate and great and it's like it's people who care enough to stay on the bleeding edge of technology and care enough about their craft and what they're doing they're doing actual, you know they're doing actual work they love the game you know yeah. like i love the game like and i still do <laughs> so like sure. i think yeah. i think that's the, well in, that's in a, a field game. like that it's almost like a necessity like yeah. you can't you can't just go to school for it and be done like it's right. evolving every month <laughs> right. you know what i mean it's, right. it's always changing Right. You know, a lot of people ask me if like when your grad school is worth it or if it's helpful. And it's like, I think that the thing with anything, anything technical is that like you want, you learn how to learn technical stuff fast. Hmm. Right. That's, I think that was the biggest value. So I think, you know, your grad school is one vector, but like any, any avenue you have to do that, right. Any avenue you have to be able to learn like interesting technical or esoteric stuff pretty fast. You know, the more I talk to people who have varying perspectives on this, you know, go to school, don't go to school thing. Um, it's something that I think about a lot now having kids, I've got a couple little ones and it's like, well, what, right. what do I tell them? I didn't, I didn't go to a good school, like, but you know, I did a pretty okay for myself, but then but I see other people who have had really great enriching experiences in school and their life wouldn't be the same if they didn't go to school. And then there's a lot of people who just wasted time, money, and just drank all the time and just like, but then there's some sort of social, you know, um, a positivity that comes from that kind of stuff in terms of learning how to communicate with people or there's so many different totally. perspectives on it. But one thing that I keep coming back to is I think it's just all the context that you look at it with, because like you said, I think too many people look at school itself as the prize. And yeah. I think that that's incorrect. No, right. I think that they look at school as being the achievement in, instead of looking at it as just a structured way to continue improving yourself. Totally. Um, you know, create habits of constantly, which you obviously did. But I think the vast majority of people who go to, you know, anything beyond high school come out of it having finished their education, quote unquote, right? Right. And, um, and then they don't continuously improve. And in my opinion, you're better off not getting a bachelor's degree and just self-learning all the time and continuing that journey right out of high school and going into a trade or doing something uh, totally. doing something else besides just sitting in a boring office job. And then, like I said, Netflixing as soon as you get home because <laughs> totally. you, you don't give a shit about anything that you're doing. You know what I mean? So I think it's all about the context and perspective that you have. And if you can you know, make the most of it, then, then go for it. I'm curious totally. if, if you could go back, would you change your major? I 
think I, if I could go back, I probably would have. So I did an undergrad, I did operations research as a major, and I did applied statistics as a minor. I think in, in retrospect, I probably would have done pure math and then economics. Hmm. Uh, okay. I think if, because I, I mean, I, I was here to take, I was here for, you know, I was a glutton for the academic punishment. And I would have I I worked through it, but like, <laughs> you know, I think uh, I would love to even have a little bit more rigorous math skills than I do. And then I think the economics round out the soft skills, which like, and it really stretches, it really stretches and creates your range in order to do that. Yeah, um, yeah. But I mean, I, I, you know, I'm very pleased with where I'm at overall. So no, no regrets. I, I sure. think at some point, at some point, you know, again, it's just like you learn how to learn. I actually have, I have pretty strong opinions about, about college, about college, especially graduate, especially graduate school and tactics. Like, like it doesn't really arm you with as many tactics. It doesn't really arm you with tactics. I think it's designed and people teaching it are wrong, right? It's like, it's, mm-hmm. it's misaligned, right? Like sure. the people who are teaching are academics, right? It, right. It, so, so like if people are teaching your academics and you want to go do business, like you're, you're, you're learning, you're learning, I think almost objectively from the wrong people. So it's, I, I, it's I an echo chamber. Totally. To me. Uh, so yeah, have, that's, that's always kind of been one of the issues that I've taken with it is that oh, that's why I have such strong ideologies that continue to pro- proliferate in those circumstances because you're creating an echo chamber of singular opinions, even though they're disguised as multiple opinions. And, uh, and then what happens is you have somebody who grew up going to school and then they go to high school and then they go to college and then they go to grad school and then they go get a PhD and then they go teach in the school. And it's like, if you've only ever been in school, whether it's teaching or learning, like you're missing some practical application of how life works that you right. can't completely have a holistic view of, in my opinion, uh, because you've never been out of the system. You totally. never have to function outside <laughs> yeah. of that system. Before. Totally. You, and that's my opinion. Again, that's where you have a bunch of idealists that function purely from an academic standpoint and not from a practical application standpoint, which is where you have these people that are butting heads. You have the blue collar worker who never went to school and they've only been in life. Maybe they're a high school dropout. And they've been working since they were 15 years old. Then you have this person who's never been in regular life. They've only ever been in academia in school. And then they have this idealistic idea of what society should be like. And this other person is over here without any of the education that this person's had. And then they're like, well, but this is not how life is because I know those people and they're not the way that you're supposing they should be. So like you have this just total polarization of opinions because this person stopped school this early and this person's only ever done school. I think there's some sort of combination of the two of those. It's probably the happy medium totally yeah and i, I mean I, love, I think there's a heat and i'll get off my school soapbox in a moment but i think that's quite <laughs> a bit uh, <laughs> but i think there's a there's a, a, a giant missing swath of of personal equipment that, that people just don't get as in, in terms of like uh emotional regulation and emotional sophistication mm. right like why like people should be learning this stuff in school right like there, yeah. there's a reason there's a reason so many like relationships have challenges and there's a reason so many so many people are depressed and frustrated is because they don't understand they don't understand their emotions they don't understand their triggers they don't understand their their trauma and their subconscious and why it why it makes them make the poor decisions that they do and so it's like you you, you know you have droves of people running around who you know are emotionally unsophisticated and not necessarily equipped to handle any type of emotional volatility that life throws their way yeah. right so like that should for sure be in school at least graduate school for people who are yeah. sliding in and paying the big bucks <laughs> you know, yeah, right. learn how to function normally in society yeah totally. that probably would be a good thing to learn totally. it seems like they're just con- consistently more outraged by differing opinions instead of 
open to the conversation, which is always so backwards to me because it's just like, aren't you supposed to go to school to learn what other people have to say about it? Like, 100%. and not form completely rigid opinions that are like not based in anyway. We can talk about that for a long time. <laughs> Let's jump back into your story specifically. Yeah, so, coming out of school, uh, you're doing some graduate work. Where does your cannabis company come in? Where does the idea? Yeah. Get? So, so I had, so I had left the army with the intent of starting a company at some point, and. For me, I was really interested in trying to trying to, trying to do that in a de-risked as way as possible. So okay. for me, that meant like joining a company as early as I could without eating the monstrous risk that comes with being a founder, right? Gotcha. And so, okay. so yeah, I was I was uh, employee and engineer number one at a company that was backed by True Ventures doing cloud robotics, and was a full stack engineer there. Worked a decent amount on computer vision stuff as well. So it was just fun to be able to learn like startup world. Sure. It was just, well, it was especially just fun. without the risk. <laughs> exactly. I wish I would have yeah. done that. <laughs> no, that's exactly right. Well, I mean, you, you learn you learn faster when you're eating got large bowls of risk because you have to. Yeah. <laughs> you know? right. so it's, just, it's just a different approach. It's it just <laughs> you, you. I think you spread it out. You spread you spread the, the risk out a little bit, and perhaps with that, slow yourself down a touch. But you know, that's a, a you know a different opinion. I think so. For me, yeah, I spent I spent some time at that company, and then once I felt comfortable starting a company after about a year. You know, made the jump to start start Dutchy, which was you know with Ross and Zach Lipson, who are amazing entrepreneurs. You know, both experienced. We had a really good vision and focus for building a really large online ordering and I guess more broadly speaking, kind of cannabis e-commerce company. So yeah, you know, I mean, was a technical co-founder there, built the whole first version, but helped facilitate all the hiring on the engineering side of things after the seed round. And just like, you know, did all the founder hustling, sure. you know, you get it, you get that probably just as well as anyone else. Like <laughs> Currently. It's just, yeah, dude, you just, yeah. you just hustle and do all kinds of stuff as, as a founder. This episode of the show is brought to you by Indeed. We are driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate is not to search at all. It's to match and match with Indeed. If you need to hire, you need this platform, guys. I'm telling you, Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work and use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging candidates so you can connect with those people even faster. And it doesn't just help you hire faster. In fact, 93% of employers agree that Indeed delivers the highest quality matches compared to other job sites, according to a recent Indeed survey. And look, guys, one of the things that I wish I would have used Indeed for is this matching service. You can search and search and search and search and search all day long, but to actually be presented with quality candidates, like 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 hiring a a recruiter for you that's presenting people that has actually done the work to vet them and uh, bring quality people in front of you, that work by itself is uh, the fact that it's done by a software instead of like a team of high quality recruiters is is pretty insane. So they leverage over 140 million qualifications and preferences every single day, which is why Indeed's matching engine is the best one that you can use. It's constantly learning from your own preferences. So the more you use it, the better it gets at doing the job for you. Join more than three and a half million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility over at indeed.com slash 
Travis. Just go to Indeed.com slash Travis right now and support this show by saying you heard about Indeed here on the podcast. Indeed.com slash Travis. Terms and conditions apply. If you need to hire, you need Indeed. Where, where'd you guys get the idea? Who, who came up with the idea initially? Uh, I think so Ross had blocked the idea. And, you know, I think Ross has... Ross has extremely sophisticated intuition uh, from a business perspective, perhaps sometimes without the articulation. And what I mean by that is like he was able to understand that, all right, I want to start a company where I have the most competitive advantage as humanly possible. So his background was in online ordering. And so he did online ordering for food and exited in that space. And then he also had you know, largely be considered, like, I guess, a cannabis aficionado and cannabis person for, you know, uh, at that point, probably, probably what's close to a decade. Uh, and so knew the space, knew the people, knew the culture, knew the trajectory. Uh, and so you, I was going to say, you, from, a, you, from a technical perspective or from a user perspective? From a user perspective and a culture perspective, exactly. Yeah. <laughs> you know, but it, but look, I mean, those two things adding together. Oh, yeah. Like oh. You, you, all of a sudden you put those things together and it's like. That's, okay, yeah, that's why, like, that's why I kind of asked the question because mm-hmm. I think sometimes people go start something because they think it's a good idea and not because it's a need that they have. Right. And, right. I mean, look, you, I think you have long to. Trajectory. Yeah, totally. I mean, I think you have to, I think when you're starting a company, you have to remember a couple of things, right? You have to remember that like, you know, you want to be operating in as deep a competitive advantage as possible. So in that case for Ross, who's kind of the progenitor, online ordering and cannabis, the intersection of those aren't too many people who are going to know more about the intersection of those than Ross, right? So it's like, okay, start with where you have a deep competitive advantage, work on something that scales, which is a software company in this case, like online ordering, staying away from the plant, staying with ancillary. So like, Operating in competitive advantage and scale, like that's usually a pretty good formula. And then, yeah. you know, you want to be able to, you know, you want to be able to find some friction, at, right? You want to be able to find some friction that you probably personally felt or have an intimate understanding of, and then solve a problem, solve a problem with that intersection of competitive advantage and scale that removes that friction and hopefully delivers value in an expedient way. And so that's that, you know, like Ross experienced the problem of having to wait in line for a product that he loves and understands well. You know, experience the pains and knows the value of online memory and cannabis. And so, you know, I think he always had the, had the vision. And and for me, I was I was probably a little bit more agnostic on on what I did. I just wanted to be part of a, a winning team business, mm-hmm. right? And so, you know, he was looking for technical co-founders, looking for a business co-founder. And we brought Zach in as his brother, as you know, the designer and chief product officer, who's this amazing, super deep guy. So, yeah, I think that's kind of the the origin in that way. Was there a time during that build? where you were just kind of like, why did I do this? I should have kept my other job or anything like that. Or was it pretty, you know, obviously every startup has a bumpy road, but you know, some of them are smoother sailing than others. You know, I think the question behind the question is like, what were the times where you really got pushed? Yeah. Right. And I think one cultural core for the founding team, you know, really exemplified by Ross. And I think Zach and I largely too, is that like, like there's, we're not thinking and planning about anything but success. Like we know that we know that it's dark and bumpy in the tunnel. And it's really long. But we know there's a light on the other side, and we're not turning around. Mm. We're not. We're not stopping the tunnel. We're just going to keep going. We're going to keep going through through. So it's like, yeah. I mean, you might sprain your ankle at some point because you can't see, and you might like, you might hit something that's challenging. But like the mind, the mindsets, the mindsets. We're here to win. Yeah, yeah. You know, the mindsets always. We're here to win. Right. Uh, so I think that. But the, no, I mean, look, there were times that were like super, super challenging. Right. Oh. I mean, no one, like, no one really here. Go ahead. So, sorry, sorry. Go ahead. Go ahead. Finish. Finish. Yeah, I mean, no one, I mean, I think I think people don't socialize like early stage founder conflict enough, and people don't socialize like 
these times where the business business almost crumbles because of like big issues, right? Like <laughs> they're for sure those times. And like every business has those. Yeah. Right? right. I think it's like, you know, it's just like, all right, well, what I think it, for for good founders, just like pe- people are like super persistent and super keen to pivot, pivot through those, right? I think any company, any company can survive okay if you like if you if you can pivot infinitely quickly and, and like with haste understand like understand how to basically redial in your understanding of the friction and value offering and how to look for that, right? How clearly did you define the word win? As you said, you know, we knew we were going to win and, you know, there may be stuff that comes up, but none of us were giving up. We were going to keep doing it until it happened. Um, my question, though, is more like until what happened, meaning was, was, was it like a clear defined like we need this revenue, we need this exit? Or was it like we just want to like be proud of what we built and be yeah. profitable and have some money come in at the end of this thing? Totally. I mean... I mean, if you get to know Ross and Zach, like, dude, like these guys are winning. They're not thinking about anything but being the best. Like, these guys are winners. You yeah. know, like, so, win- so, like, winning is being the biggest, best company in the space ever. You know, that was like that was the attitude, right? Yeah. And it's like, yeah. you know, the jo- the early jokes in the companies are like, you know, what it what's like the Dutchy Jack gonna look like, and like, what's the you know what's the <laughs> sock symbol gonna be? Like, what's the you know like like those are the those are the things you you know you. When you're when you're sitting around the fire chatting at like at 10 p.m. on a Friday after working the, the 14 hour day, like those guys are, you know, they're, they're always they're still talking about the business. They're still talking about winning. Yeah, right. It's like it's it's just it's just focused on being, you know, it's focused on being the best you can be and being the best best ever, right? It's it's it's, 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 it's interesting. There's a certain bravado that comes with that, right? I'm aware of that. Yeah. I'm, I'm aware of the bravado and hubris that comes with that, but I think in in many ways, it's, I think it's it's necessary. Sure. Right? I think I think sure. uh, you know, of, of course there's a very delicate balance with one's ego and self awareness, but yeah, I mean, yeah, the, like, yeah, these guys, these guys, they're here to, you know, they're here to be goaded. Yeah. <laughs> that's uh, yeah, that's good, dude. That's really good. So what ended up happening? Give us the lowdown on how the venture yes. ended up going for you guys. Any numbers that you can share would be awesome. If you can't share, I understand as well. Yeah, no, I mean, look, so the company's gone on to do really, really well. Uh, I think COVID was, it was a good tailwind. You know, I, I, I left the company a little bit before the Series A mark. The companies, you know, but the companies continue to go on and do extremely well. I've been cheering for it the entire way. You know, recently raised at you know around a three billion dollar valuation. You know, the companies raised several rounds, done some acquisitions recently. Uh, you know, hiring like crazy, and it's just it's just so it's so cool and meaningful to see. I think for me, they're like it's it's interesting getting to know getting to know founders and their identities and like. I think a lot of people tie their identity to as a founder to their company, mm-hmm. like really, really tie. Like, like I mean, I mean, like embrace it and adapt it. And, and like, I think I was always pretty cautious not to do that because for me, it's like a, you know, it's a, I think it's the first step in my entrepreneurial journey, right? Very blessed that that is the first big step, right? And that, I think that really helped, right? Having having that momentum and having that understanding and seeing what seeing what right and being part of what right looks like in a lot of ways. Sure. So you know, very very blessed for that. But I think for me, you know, there, it's I'm very much focused on focused on like a, abundance mind, abundance of creation mindset, right? Like you know, there's no there's no reason there there can't be several more unicorn companies that that I'm involved with from an early stage in some way. It's tremendously exciting to see the company go on and do well, and we'll continue to do well. I mean, the entire team there are monsters, right? I'll, always have been, always will be. You know, it's fun. So now you are with Scout Ventures. Talk, talk to me about that. Uh, how did you get involved, and what is it that you do there primarily? Yeah, for sure. So after Dutchie, I, I pivoted more onto the investing side of things and have been there the last several years. And, you know, both on, you know, as an institutional quant at F172 and then as a 
as a you know smaller smaller cap firm venture manager uh, and now as a as a partner at Scout. And it's tremendously fun because of the the team and and the synergy and the space, right? Like for I think for everyone in their career, it's like a, it's a goal to, to hit the sh- it's a goal to hit your stride and feel like you're really aligned in terms of your skill sets, competitive advantage, and, and passion, right? And I think there's there's a lot of labor and soul searching it takes to get there. Uh, I think at, at Scout, I think I, I very much am there, and, it, and it's I think it's largely because the bulk of, of my time is able to spend be spent like working with entrepreneurs and building and, and looking and learning about really cool technology and cool software, all, all things that like I have super near and dear to my heart. And I think joining Scout's been really meaningful because, you know, Brad, the managing partner there, you know, he started, started has been running the firm for like a decade. So experienced and polished as a venture manager, mm. uh, has such good intuition, such, such a good foundational, I think, partner to have right at, at, at the firm. And so I think it really, it's, it's really been a blessing to be able to empower me to focus on, you know, investing in a more early stage software companies, being more hands-on with portfolio management and helping more with recruiting, staying more aligned with our incubation program, you know, which we, which we have gotten off the ground last year is, is starting to pick up some, some traction with our first company. No, it's, it's been uh yeah, it's been a, it's just been a, it's been a blessing overall, I'd say. And I'm excited to, Excited to really scale the firm and excited to kind of do more building and and more investing and amazing entrepreneurs. So 2021 was absolute record-setting year for venture funding, I mean, private equity, SPACs, basically everybody had money and everybody was dumping money everywhere. Where do you see the future headed in, in this same space? Are, are, we, are we on board for a couple more years of that kind of stuff? And obviously you can't tell the future, but I'd love to hear your perspective. Yeah, absolutely. There's a couple like fundamental principles that I think I, I kind of have my eye on as I, as I look to the future. You know, a, a, one of those is that in many ways technology begets technology, right? So there's there's all I think I think you 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 slowly see you know spaces with middlemen starting to get cut out, so like distribution type type businesses, you know, service middle layer type businesses. Uh, I think a lot of those businesses are starting to feel more and more pressure. And there's more jobs and more movement and more capital moving into, into, into actual leverage value creation, right? I think that's one of the reasons you, you've seen so much appetite and, and we'll see, I think, a little, even a little bit more appetite for tech investing, especially early stage tech investing is that like you're putting dollars and you're putting effort and putting behind, behind talent, tangible kind of scalable high value creation upside assets. Right. Obviously, you know you have a lot more risk if you're if you're investing earlier stage. But I think by and large, venture and private equity people doing investments in, in smart things that are anchored to building sound businesses around creating scalable value. Right. I think that's not going to win anytime soon. Right. That, and that's why I put you know a decent number of my eggs kind of both as a personal and professional investor in, in that bucket. I think one of the things that I am starting to see and it and is a concern and it gets into probably my next theme is that there's a a large degree of, I think, unsophisticated capital entering into the market that's that's putting some weird things to prices, right? Especially so, like you know, you look at seed rounds and Series A rounds, and some other. Uh, it's like you know, the multiples on top line are, are like not reasonable and aligned with the public markets. I think there's going to be somewhat of a correction there. So you know, I, I, because I think that you know the public markets too are, are kind of, is kind of like the the conductor of the train in, in many ways, right? So you know, you, you just you look you kind of look at what companies do well there and why, and, and kind of at some of the the fundamental deal mechanics on, on larger IPOs or MA. So I think you start to follow those. I think some of these companies who are raising at some higher multiples, they're going to have a little bit more challenges around liquidity, and there's going to be kind of a natural correction in that way. And and I also think it makes sense to 
to start to look a little bit outside of the American market. I think, I think for me, and, and this is more of a personal investor and I'll start to bleed more into professional investing soon as I de-risk things and learn more. But I, I'm starting to look at emerging markets like Sub-Saharan Africa, right? If you look at, if you look at the rate of unicorns, of unicorn companies from Sub-Saharan Africa, albeit numbers still being small, the rate of change is like, it's like exponential in that way, mm. right? So there's only a bit, and, and it makes sense, right? It's like, you mean, you have, you know, you have a billion people. There's starting to be more and more uh, mobile adoption and more and more access to the internet. And so many of these businesses and tools and services that have created a tremendous amount of value in the United States or other markets that are much more saturated. I think that, you know, those are, are I think, really, really open for opportunity. It's just, it just comes with a different set of challenges. Right. And I think, you know, but yeah, I'm, I'm generally long, I'm long on, on investing in similar style companies, early stage technology and software companies that are mostly B2B focused, really interested there. And then I'm also, I'm also keeping my eye on, on web three, but more through the lens of like where there's actually integration with scalable businesses. Retrofit, I think retrofitting, retrofitting large enterprises in, in, with, with anything web three has, has proven to be problematic, especially at kind of a, 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 a country level, but like, you know, like we've seen in South America to some extent. So I think retrofitting is challenged. I think we're in an era where there's a lot of new building around web three and there's really interesting, powerful things happening there. I think there's, there's a lot of smoke though. There's a lot of smoke in, in the space. I think you, I think there's a lot of unsophisticated money in, in the space as well. Um, a lot, a lot of like prop and perceived value. Don't get me wrong. There's plenty of money to make in that way. But sure. I think for me, my focus is like who's building infrastructure and that's enabling and, and who's building sound businesses, right? Who are people yeah. that aren't, are not just visionaries, but also really sound operators, right? Um, yeah. Like so, what's, what, what's going to be the 10 to 15% of these companies that exist in 10 years from now? Mm -hmm. That's exactly right. Yeah, very focused on that, and I think it'll actually be. I think the, the percentage will be a little bit less, right? Mm -hmm. Given the number of companies starting that are that I think you know, honestly, are kind of garbage. Um, yeah. There's just plenty, and there's loaded with hypes, white white papers, or grabs. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, exactly. So, uh, but I mean, the point is, like, it's a big deal. The industry is a big deal. The movement's a big deal. And like, let's, you know, I, I, for me, I'm like, all right, I'm like, I want to be responsible and try as an investor, try and take a really sophisticated and well-researched approach to like what's going to actually have legs from business business lens. So, yeah, that's what I, that's what I'm probably most. That's probably a couple of things I'm most focused on for for future. So one one more question for you, Brian. I'll let you go. This is the one that we've asked every guest that's ever come on the show. Um, it's all about networking. It's all about relationships. And just in your story alone, you can tell that that's something that you're obviously really bullish on because that theme of people in your life that um, have helped you at certain stages of your career uh, has popped up time and time again as we've had this conversation. So I'm curious to hear your answer to this question uh, because you're also extremely educated. Who you know or what you know, Sam, which of those two do you view as being the more valuable asset in life and why? I think there, there was an earlier me that would have said that, you know, I think kind of the obstinate uh, engineer would have said what, you know, right. Like put, put my headphones on rage against the machine and like, like code them in the night. And I, I've since evolved into, into more of the who, not how camp, right. Mm -hmm. Because yeah. you, I mean, I, I see the power of, and, and this really, that's ultimately, I think is the role of, of a, an entrepreneur and CEO is to understand the vision and be able to understand what people to bring in and align them against the vision in the right way in order to in order to accomplish whatever the, the vision and mission is, right? And like, yeah. I think that's that's very fundamental. And I think just like all the themes through all investing and it's just like people, 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 right? So you know, I've, uh, because of that, I'm something of a learned, I'd say, learned extrovert or perhaps a different, like gregarious introvert. 
so you know i've had to really really like lean into the who not how uh, yeah. but i think it's i think you're no you're, you're totally right i think and being in you know being intentional about that it's, it's super helpful i think the thing to me nowadays man is like knowledge is not scarce anymore that's right you can find it anywhere you can get it anywhere mm-hmm. you can you can go to school online you can go to school in person you can listen to podcasts audiobooks watch youtube all day like knowledge is in abundance all you have to do is be willing to go get it people good people are not in abundance and yeah. and, and i know you're right you have the relationships with those with those people and you zoom out over the course of your life that you'll find that the quality of your life is going to be much higher if you fill it with quality people rather than just consuming knowledge. That's exactly right. No, I think that's exactly right. No, that's well said. Well, Sam, thanks so much for coming on the show, man. This is awesome. I had a great time chatting with you. Before we sign off here, where can everybody go to learn a little bit more about you or catch up with what you're working on? Uh, LinkedIn's probably LinkedIn's probably the best place. Uh, and then also have have a scout ventures blog that you know reasonably active on from a professional perspective um so yeah probably probably the best places to learn about a lot of the topics that, that we've covered today perfect so go connect with sam over on linkedin or go over to scout ventures uh get some of the information from their blog that he's putting out over there sam thanks so much for joining me on the show man this is a lot of fun of course really enjoyed take care that's it for this episode. If you want to connect with Travis and other like-minded people who also listen to the show, then you're going to want to head over to travischapelcom slash group to join his free Facebook group, Podcast to Profit. Travis will see you there. And remember to leave every relationship better than you found it. Say goodbye to your credit card rewards. Greedy corporate mega stores, led by Walmart and Target are pushing for a law in Congress to take away your hard-earned cash back and travel points to line their pockets. The Durbin Marshall credit card bill would enact harmful credit card routing mandates that would end credit card rewards as we know it. If you love your credit card rewards, tell your lawmakers, hands off my rewards. Tell them to oppose the Durbin Marshall credit card bill. Without the ones like you, who work tirelessly to keep things running, everything would suddenly stop. Hospitals, factories, schools, and power plants, they all depend on you. No matter the weather, emergency, or time of day, you're the ones who get it done. At Granger, we're here for you, with professional-grade industrial supplies. Count on real-time product availability and fast delivery. Call, clickgranger.com or just stop by. Granger for the ones who get it done.